Hello everyone, I'm Anand and I'm the Group Director of Revenue Management and Distribution at Wolf Hotels Management Limited in Hong Kong. In this episode of Power of Loyalty, I would be talking to Mr. Christopher Hartley, the Chief Executive Officer of Global Hotel Alliance. Chris has three decades of hospitality experience. He started out in marketing with Forte Hotels and Kempinski before leading the team that created the Shaza Hotels. Now, he's one of the pioneers behind the creation of Global Hotel Alliance, or GHA, which started off somewhere around 2004. The alliance represents a collection of 35 brands with over 500 hotels and offers a loyalty platform called GHA Discovery to 11 million customers. Chris is a true specialist in the business of loyalty. He's based in Dubai. So thank you for joining us, Chris, and welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. And uh, really appreciate you having me on and delighted to be calling in from Dubai today uh, to Hong Kong to talk to you. Um, uh, what's an interesting time uh, for the industry. So um, great to be with you today. Chris, while I was making your introduction, I realized that you have a very interesting career. And besides loyalty program, what interests me is the big idea behind consolidating efforts. So talk to me about the GHA Alliance and how pooling resources is helping your brands deliver a stronger competitive punch against the big giants like Marriott, Hilton and the likes. How did you come up with this idea and convince the brands to join hands? An interesting question generally, and there's there's almost um, worthy of a little bit of history um, to start answering uh, that question. Um, The Alliance itself, as you said in the introduction, was founded back in 2004. And at the time, um, as you also said in your introduction, I had been working with Kempinski in marketing. We at the time were owned by Lufthansa. Mm-hmm. And as many hotel groups were during the 70s, 80s, and 90s, um, the airlines had, um, over the years, bought or created hotel groups. Um, some of your listeners will know, if they're of my age and above, or remember Pan Am um, owned Intercontinental, Westin was owned by United Airlines, uh, mm-hmm. Meridian was owned by Air France, to give examples. So we, um, working for hotel brands like that, were in a hugely advantageous position of having global distribution effectively done for us and all of our marketing efforts done for us by um, an airline. And of course, in, in those day, those early days of, of distribution, um, global distribution, we um, couldn't have afforded really on our own to, to get a brand like Kempinski, which at the time only had 20, 25 hotels in front of a global audience. It simply wasn't economically viable to do that on our own. Yeah. Um, so we had Lufthansa. So my, my job when I joined Kempinski and the mid nineties, um, was really very easy. It was basically, what can we do with Lufthansa to piggyback onto their marketing efforts to make sure their passengers stay in Kempinski hotels when they travel. And of course they chosen hotels and locations they flew to. And so 50% of our business came from Germany. It was, it was really straightforward in, uh, forward marketing proposition. Um, and then of course, uh, the airlines started, uh, getting rid of hotel companies. They decided it was on call. Um, they, they sold the assets in many cases that they owned in order to um, raise capital invest in their, their, their core airline business. And um, there were we suddenly convinced he left on our own. 
And no Lufthansa, we had a legacy agreement for a few years uh, for some marketing and advertising, but basically that was it. And so it was that that prompted me to think, how are we as a small independent brand going to remain competitive? Now, some of those brands at the time, the likes of Meridian, the likes of Weston, um, themselves um, were grouped together through uh, ownership as Starwood Capital bought up a whole bunch of those independent brands at the time to create what became Starwood and is now part of Marriott. But Kempinski, um, you could say, didn't have the fortune to be linked up to anyone else at that point, but it had the it had the advantage and flexibility of being a very well-known German brand. And we felt there was an opportunity to find other like-minded independents who wanted to stay independent to um, become part of an alliance and, and effectively a partnership that would enable us then to compete with the bigger players. It was pre uh, online travel agents. So it was pre third party distribution in, in the modern sense of the world. Um, and so it was all about how we go, how we're going to reach through sales, through marketing, through, um, if you like old school distribution, um, a, a global audience at an acceptable price point. And there was born the idea of an alliance. From there, we, we built, uh, well, we'll come on to that in due course, but we built um, the alliance from a few brands, four brands back in 2004 to 35 brands today. Um, the rest, as they say, is history, but it was really that need to compete with these consolidating brands um, as well as what then later became the ever-growing uh, third parties that, that forced us together, if you like, and, and uh, became what is now a quite substantial and competitive alliance proposition. It's a great story. And what I liked about it is that you, you said something about need to compete, <laughs> which is so true. Necessity is the mother of invention. And, and I must say that the alliance has grown Quite strongly, you have a collection of more than 35 brands and uh, more than 11 million customers. So going on with this flow, and since the, since the topic of today's podcast is the power of loyalty, what do you think about loyalty as a subject? You know, how loyal are guests these days amidst a lot of similar products? You know, there is a brand blur as such. I think that's very true. And I think it's something that challenges the great marketing minds of our industry is how do you capture guest loyalty uh, today? And, and what is it that drives that loyalty? Ultimately, we all know um, all the economic reasons for driving repeat business. It, it's, it's better economically to have repeat customers than continually to seek new customers. However, digital distribution has changed that somewhat. And so um, a more fickle audience, an audience that's jumping from brand to brand, uh, hopping in and out of bed to use a hotel analogy perhaps, um, is perhaps more acceptable because there's a much bigger funnel of new guests coming through, more people are traveling than ever. And so it's more acceptable and to a certain extent less expensive, or at least it's perceived to be less expensive to have um, a large 
um, turnover of guests, if you like, in the, in the sense that it, can you operate a hotel where every single guest is a new guest? And the answer is yes, you can from a practical point of view, um, whereas it would have been much harder to do that 20 or 30 years ago um, because that's what an OTA enables you to do. It, it enables you to permanently reach a new audience right. at a price point that is debatably acceptable or unacceptable, depending on which way you're looking at it. But nonetheless, um, the big brands have gone all in on loyalty. So you'd ask yourself the question, well, why is loyalty so important today? Is it about driving repeat customers or is it about owning the customer relationship? And I think loyalty today has moved from a, from being purely about the, the economics behind it's five times cheaper to retain a customer than to go and seek a new one, sort of marketing 101, if you like, to who owns the customer journey, who owns the customer experience, and who owns the customer data. And if you, the answer is that is I own all of those things. Um, you have the ability of growing your business than it is allowing customers to be fickle and basically book whatever they feel like doing through whatever channel because opportunities are endless, right? Um, there are so many different places you can go and so many different channels you can book through. So I, I think what loyalty is all about today is the battle to own the customer journey, the customer experience, and the customer data. Understand. And you know, there is a behavioral science concept of affiliation to a group, you know, that how group behavior um, can drive preferences. What do you have to say about that? Uh, do you think that uh, the feeling of belonging to a group has got something to do with the purchase preferences of the guests? I think a lot of it's about efficiency. It's about ease. It's about information. It's about content. I haven't touched on content yet, but I think that the, the quality of the content and the reliability and credibility of the content that okay. you're um, receiving to make a purchase choice is very important. But I think when it comes to brands today, you, you really have to, you know, when, when you when you talk about um, is, is there a sort of group think in terms of brand affiliation? I think absolutely. But then you have to look at each sector of the economy individually. I think in, in retail choices and luxury good choices, I, I think there's very much a sort of fashionable aspect to brand. You know, what, what is my friend doing? What are they, um, uh, what, 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 what's their picture on? What brand are they showing on their, their, their Instagram? Um, what bag have they bought recently? What pair of sunglasses do they, do they wear? I think certain purchases are very um, much driven by brand consciousness and brand affiliation and group think, if you like. It, it's, it's what's trending. Um, I think when it comes to travel choice, uh, what what's trending, if you like, are destinations. So everyone wants to go to Montenegro because Montenegro is a new place to go. I, I, I make it up, but Cambodia is reopened to travel. Um, so to a certain extent, group thinks today in travel is about where am I going to go to? And it's very much driven by the leisure uh, travel thinker because 
corporate travel has been commoditized. We can come on to that later if you like. But sticking with brand for a moment, I think destinations have become brands. Dubai, where I'm sitting talking to you today, is very much a trendy brand in travel. People want to go to Dubai. They want to be seen in Dubai. And so I would argue, unfortunately, that it's harder to differentiate a hotel brand. Let's stick to Dubai for a moment. Do you go to do you go to Dubai because you want to stay in another one and only or another Four Seasons or another Kempinski? Um, let's talk about our brands. Kempinski, Nikki Beach, Anantara. We've got all of those brands here in Dubai. Do you go for the brand? And that makes it harder for brands to differentiate themselves today. Got it. And you touched a very vital chord that the destinations themselves have become brands these days. And and within those destinations, I believe um, experiences of those destinations are a sub-brand in itself. So uh, I believe a, a lot of recent enhancements were made to GHA Discovery and uh, a new components like uh, Discovery Dollars, Experience and Live Local, etc. were added. So could you talk a bit about that and what you just said really showcases how uh, discovery loyalty is leveraging that concept of destinations as a brand and experiences within these destinations as a brand. Exactly. So our thinking behind the new GHA Discovery, which uh, launched in December, having originally launched back in 2010, um, we spent a lot of time during the dark days of the pandemic um, reinventing what the next generation of loyalty program would look like. We have um, a huge new brand, uh, NH Hotels, joining in a few months' time, um, which will bring our hotel counts up to 800. And so we will have a vast choice of destinations within the alliance. So the question is, if we've got the choice for customers, which I think is very important, if you want customers to be loyal to um, your brands, then you need to give them choice. Um, and so that's why bringing together independent brands is so helpful for them because then they become part of a bigger club. And so we now are an 800 loyalty club. But the question is, what what is going to drive customer behavior to choose to be part of our club, the GHA Discovery Club, if you like, versus Envoy Club or the Live Limitless Club or the Hilton Honors Club. So what we did is spend a lot of time during COVID talking to customers about what they really felt drove choice within loyalty programs. And we talked earlier about destination. And the answer is, first of all, you have to give them an incentive. So price, and I think we'll come on to price at the moment when we talk about revenue management. Price is obviously a key driver, but Obviously, within any given city, do I want to, am I going for leisure purposes? I want to be on the beach. Do I want to be on a golf course? So there are all of those factors, which again, are not driven by an loyalty program unless you have fast choice. So you need to have selection of different types of hotels. Then comes the question of what is it within the loyalty program that might encourage me to stay in one of these hotels? And the answer is... Well, if you give me an incentive, we took price, yes, but give me an incentive. And that's where we came with the idea of a currency. A lot of loyalty program uh, uh, junkies, if you like, they're obsessed with the idea of these, these points that give them free nights. But customers complained that the point system was unfair, that it was changed all the time, that the value of points in any given brand or hotel were constantly changing, that they were available or unavailable at different times of the year. So we came up with the notion with our customers' input of a simple currency. You get a, 
what we call a discovery dollar, depending on how much you've spent in that hotel, you get a percentage in discovery dollars back again. The discovery dollar is a transparent currency, which is equal to a US dollar and can be instantly uh, transferred at spot rates into any other currency. Mm-hmm. And you can use it all the time like cash, like a payment system, like a credit card. So if you've got 500 discovery dollars in your program, you can use that. So what we've been doing over the last few months is incentivizing our customers to start earning discovery dollars. In some cases, we've given them discovery dollars in their virtual wallets to start to get them thinking about why they might want to stay in a GHA discovery hotel. And it's amazing what a $100 stimulus or a $200 stimulus will do in terms of changing customer behavior. Um, there was a great example of the U- in the UK during the pandemic where they, um, they created this concept after the first wave of the pandemic, after the first lockdown, um, eat out to help out because the restaurant business was in such disarray after the first lockdown. They gave everyone in the country, 50 million people, a 10-pound voucher to go and eat at a restaurant. And it was an amazing success. You can't believe what people are willing to do um, uh, if you give them a 10-pound voucher. And so restaurants were inundated. Everyone started eating out again. And of course, it was great for the restaurant business. I digress. My point is that in a loyalty program, it's all about tangible value, and that helps to drive choice. So that's the first reason um, we, we created this currency, and it was the first big change to the program. The second is continuing to enhance recognition. People love to be recognized. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter how wealthy they are. In fact, if they're wealthy, they want even more recognition. Um, everyone likes to feel that someone's saying, welcome back. Um, everyone likes to feel they've got a special benefit that someone else maybe didn't get. And so we enhanced our benefits package for our different elite uh, status tiers within the loyalty program. And the third thing we realized during the pandemic, although we'd started to realize it before the pandemic, but the pandemic really put a focus on this is we never look after people when they're not traveling. And most people, even frequent travelers don't travel more than a few weeks a year. In fact, when we surveyed our customers on average, they traveled pre pandemic 27 days a year. So what are they doing for the other 338 days? The answer is they're at home. But because of the loyalty program, we know where their home is. At least we know where their home city is. So suddenly we thought, well, why don't we talk to these people about what they can do with us when they're not traveling? So we piloted that in Dubai last year where we've got about 15 hotels. And we started to say to people who couldn't travel even better, they were, they were a captive audience, here are some benefits you can have if you come and visit our hotels as a member of GHA Discovery, even though we know you can't travel at the moment. And this drove huge demand for staycations, for restaurant bookings, because we gave special discounts for access to pools, to beaches. And so suddenly you've engaged a customer who previously you could only give something relevant to them maybe 20 or 30 days a year. Suddenly we were able to give a relevant benefit to them all year round. And that changed really the, the sort of thinking of what a loyalty program is all about, which is about customer engagement. You found actually a solution to a problem where to travel during COVID. 
Uh, and created multiple options for the guests uh, to enjoy their loyalty program benefits locally. I think this was a brilliant move, Chris. Um, Chris, um, we've, we've spoken about loyalty, we've spoken about experiences. Where are we headed with all this? Uh, how would you how do you think would the world of hotel alliances change in the future? And, and how do you think GHA is well positioned to take advantage of the changes? I think we're going to continue to see uh, customers being driven by uh, destinations uh, as the primary reason to travel for leisure purposes. However, I also feel that customers are seeking new experiences and the big brands don't necessarily provide, if you like, the um, perception of a differentiated customer experience. The opposite to what customers perhaps were looking for back in the 80s or 90s, which was this brand security, is now working against the big brands. And so they're hurrying to acquire new brands or create new brands to diversify um, the customer experience that they're able to offer in all of these different types of brands. If you look at Aqua, I think they have about 40 brands. It used to be just Ibis and Novotel. And like, who's ever going to travel the world to stay in an Ibis or a Novotel? They knew that. And so if they were going to grow and succeed in the future, they needed to diversify their brand portfolio. And they've done that very successfully. Marriott bought Starbucks for the same reason. I think what we have with the Alliance is an enormously rich group of eclectic brands. And within the Alliance, I would argue we have some of the, 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 the richest, the most luxurious local brands who give unique experiences, but we need to expose those to customers. As long as ownership wants to remain independent, like the Wolf owners or like the Capella owners or the Kempinski owners, then there is a need for us to group together. And by grouping together, we can offer an alternative customer experience. And I think we have an opportunity over the coming years to continue to collaborate in such a way that we offer the alternative mm. to the big brand experience. And I think we need to emphasize in not necessarily a negative way, but in a, in a differentiated way. Why, why is it better to stay in a group of independent hotels? And I think that's a simple message to give. It's because we have these rich and eclectic local brands, which right. a lot of people want to experience when they travel. And so that, that's the huge advantage we have. And I think we continue to see that evolution, especially for the leisure traveler. And I think leisure is where the future of travel is, which is a whole other discussion. Um, and I, I therefore think the Alliance is well positioned to do that. And I think there are many independent owners who want to and will continue to want to remain independent because they don't want to pay the prices that the big brands are charging to be part of their portfolios. Correct. Now, Chris, I asked this question to um, all my guests. Um, what provides you professional fulfillment? Um, you've been in this uh, function for quite some time now. Uh, so what is it that gets you ticking? So I thought about this question because uh, you sent it to me before the, the show and I um, thought about it overnight and I jotted down a, a few thoughts and then I realized it all began with D. Um, I'm not sure why, but maybe it's just going soon. So here are my four Ds. Um, what, what, what gets me ticking? Okay. The first one is I love delivering on a vision. I like dreaming about doing things differently. We all do. 
But what I love is when a dream becomes a reality and that you've managed to um, come up with a new idea and actually deliver on it and make it happen. So that that's certainly my number one. My number two is linked to that is developing people, developing people to work with you that help you deliver on those visions because nothing is achievable without people and without great people. And so I, I love working and developing um, a great team of people. And I've got some fantastic colleagues that work with me and the Alliance for many years. The third one is, um, and you probably got the gist of that from some of my comments uh, during the show is I love disruption. Um, I love doing things differently. Uh, that's to me part of, well, certainly it's part of my DNA. And I think it's part of um, the free market DNA is how do you, when, when, when something becomes stayed and customers get used to something, um, a certain way of doing things, it's actually the disruptors that manage to create uh, a whole new set of business opportunities. And often it's the, uh, what you least expect that becomes Correct. the next big thing. And, and, and someone needs to disrupt in order to achieve that. And the last one is, and, and obviously as a revenue manager, you, you understand this more than anything. I love driving revenue as a result of, uh, of all of the above, because ultimately a business only succeeds if you are able to drive revenue. And that's the hardest part of any business because we can all manage costs. We can all reduce costs if we have to, unfortunately, have to over the last couple of years. But we're in a perfect uh, example of a time at the moment where the future of hospitality is all about driving revenue again. We've had two horrific years um, where markets around the world have closed down, our hotels are being empty, literally. So what we've got to do over the next few years is start driving revenue again. And that's what gets me um, up every morning um, thinking about how we're going to achieve that. Excellent. You know, it, it was so nice to listen to your perspective, Chris, and your model of four Ds. Uh, it's very innovative. And I must say it touched a chord when you spoke about developing people and handling disruption. So thanks a lot for your time, Chris. I'm sure our listeners would benefit a lot from your perspective. I wish you all the best for your future efforts to grow GHA Discovery further. Thank you to your listeners and uh, hope to continue the dialogue with Wolf and see you back in Hong Kong before too long. Absolutely. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the conversation, please follow the podcast and share the link with others. Happy learning.